You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore that app. Well, I hope you had a happy and safe 4th of July. It's actually technically still the 4th for me, so hopefully I have a happy and safe 4th of July. And it's for that reason I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I still have to mow the lawn, go shopping, get grilling, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Maybe sneak in a nap somewhere, but probably not. So tired. Um, I did make the old mac and cheese video, but it's an absolute nightmare. I haven't even looked at the individual clips. We had people over, we were grilling meat, the meat got done faster than expected, so the uh, we hadn't even started making the mac and cheese and the meat was done. But I'll start trying to piece that together and then trying to figure out what kind of a behind-the-scenes video to do for you. Figure out how that works, but um, once again, please check out the Palmer Home links at uh, Facebook as well as Twitter, raising money to send to them. They are uh, individual homes that help children in need. And uh, Mr. Malcolm Reed has pledged to raise $20,000 to feed a family of eight for a year. He is almost all the way there, and I've uh, pledged to help out with that. We are personally at $230. Any little bit helps. Again, links all over the place. Top post in the Facebook group, top post on my Twitter. If you don't want to do that, you can just send it to me directly, and I will uh, send that money to them. But I want to start off with a handful of questions I got from Seth on Twitter that I had missed. Number one, he says that he generally agrees about the owner situation, but wouldn't mind having somebody in charge to keep Mark Murphy accountable. The problem with that is it's a never-ending thing. You hire somebody, they keep Mark Murphy accountable. Who keeps that guy accountable? Right? So we're kind of just stuck in a loop. And the fact of the matter is he is being held accountable. He is a member of a board. It's not just one guy rules at all. That's another benefit of all this. An owner would take away the oversight of a larger board that governs the Green Bay Packers and turn all that power over to one person. There is currently a board, and and again, I've said this before, Mark Murphy is just one member of that board that was elected by the board to essentially run the team. But he is just a board member. Well, he's not just a board member. But he is, there is oversight. So... Just my thought, but I guess I get it. He also says Little Wayne would be a great owner. Can't really argue with that, Little Wayne. I mean, I, I don't want that to happen, but um, be kind of be kind of fun. Plus, I mean, if you want a guy that you know, it's not just about money. He's genuinely a fan. That would make sense. Uh, second question, he says, I'm new to Patreon. How do I access the podcast early? Probably asking because you've been looking around and you don't see that I've done anything recently. Um, I hadn't in a while, but. I believe the last episode before this, possibly this episode, was posted on Patreon. Basically, they're just posts. So you should get some kind of an update. I know I've subscribed to a few people on Patreon. Whenever they do something, I get uh, notifications. It's always real annoying because uh, 
I always think that it's somebody subscribed to my Patreon. Nope, it's just somebody giving me an update. But yeah, you should just get an update that says uh, there's been a new post by me, and it'll be the podcast. I'll put right on there that this is a podcast, and then the title, and then you just go there. Number three, if Devontae refuses to sign an extension, couldn't we franchise tag him? Yes, uh, if I mean, if we wanted to go that route, I would say that's unlikely. Not unlikely, it's uh, uncharacteristic of the Packers. However, we're in uncharacteristic times. As I've said before, the Packers usually take better care of their salary cap, so then they don't have to do extreme things and things don't get kind of messy, and they pay guys what they're happy to be paid. There's a possibility that with all this stuff going on, they maybe can't quite get to the number that Devontae would like. And so there is a bit of a, some consternation, and he says this isn't good enough, and the Packers are like, all right, well, how about a franchise tag? Because that's probably about what they're offering him is the price of a franchise tag anyways, which is not top dollar. I mean, it's, it's a lot, but it's not, you know, number one wide receiver money. The issue then is we're, we're really running the risk of seeing the same situation with Devontae that we're seeing with Rodgers. He doesn't have to sign that tag. In other words, he can just refuse to play. And we've seen some players do that. Generally, they do end up signing. I know with Allen Robinson, that was a big thing. He flat out said he didn't want to play in Chicago. He didn't like it there. He wanted out. They franchise tagged him. So you would think he doesn't want to be there and you just franchise tagged him. He's going to be super mad. Eh, he signed it. He's going to play. So I do think that that's a play that'll probably end up working, but it just really puts a bad taste in your mouth to have Aaron Rodgers say, I want out of here, and then have Devontae say, I want out of here, and then we force him to play. It just it puts you in kind of this, man, this is getting ugly kind of territory. So hopefully it doesn't come to that. But yes, it is an option, and I expect them to exercise that if Devontae decides I'm, I'm not going to play or I'm not going to accept your terms or whatever. Fourth question, he says, if we trade Rodgers after the season, does that put us in a good salary cap situation for 2022? It's hard to say because there's contracts, you know, Devontae. What's Devontae's contract going to look like? What's Jair's contract going to look like? What's Aaron Rodgers' contract going to look like? Well, he's gone. So we at least have that. Not say, you know, in this scenario. But as I've said before, Aaron Rodgers' cap is the, is the biggest monstrosity, and it's uh, almost $40 million dollars. We're $34 million in the hole. Now, I don't know exactly what his, um, depending on how and when he ends up leaving, it'll change the dynamic of how much money we're going to actually save. But there's some other things that need to be done. Number one on that list is $28 million to Zadarius Smith. That can't happen. That's another one that's like Aaron Rodgers, where it's like, that's just ridiculous. Now, I know top pass rushers are in the mid-20s. This is kind of high, or yeah, high 20s. But this is just kind of ridiculous. So I kind of see it being similar to Aaron Rodgers where I'm not saying I know what's going to happen, but I know that we can't pay this. Ideally, Zadarius Smith is absolutely dominant and we just give him an extension. And I think that's probably the most likely scenario. Um, We're pretty thin at outside linebacker when you factor in Preston probably not staying. It would be hard to get rid of Preston and Zadarius, especially with a decent-sized cap, uh, dead cap hit that Zadarius would bring. And I think Preston's going to have one as well if we if we do, in fact, end up moving on. I'm saying that as a certainty, and it's not. But I, I, I think it's going to be one of those two things. He either gets an extension or he gets cut. Um, if we do end up moving on from Zadarius Smith next year, it's going to be a $12 million cap hit. We save almost $16 million. $12 million cap hit is brutal, but when you subtract uh, almost $16 million plus subtracting whatever it is we're going to end up subtracting for Rogers, 22 million, 23, whatever it is. That would be about $40 million, which still doesn't put us in great spot. But again, you get rid of Preston, 
Um, saves us another 12 and a half. So now we're, we're deep in the black. Um, Adrian, some question there in terms of what we're going to end up doing. That's like $12 million. That's a pretty big cap hit. There's so many massive cap hits here, which is obviously problematic. Kenny Clark, $20 million. Bakhtiari, 20, almost 23. Zedarius, 28. Rogers, 40. It just, the bottom line is it can't be this. And it's also why I, the, the Rogers thing seems weird to me. Um, because the Packers seem adamant that, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what their plan is. There's always going to be an element of wait and see. In other words, we don't know, and it's there's a good chance that they don't know either. I think that, like I said, I think this was the case last year with Aaron Rodgers. We got Jordan. Aaron didn't have the greatest year two years ago, and certainly didn't three years ago. So there's a question of, you know, how absolutely necessary is this guy in his massive contract? Well, he goes out, wins MVP, and the, the, the answered our question. Unfortunately, Rodgers realized this answer to our question and put him in a massively powerful situation, and he's trying to capitalize on that, and et cetera, et cetera. So, no, I wouldn't say it puts us in a good situation if we move on from Rodgers. We still have something to do, uh, some work to do, but it's a lot better. But again, that, that's how crazy the situation is. Even if we get rid of Rodgers, we still have some work to do. How in the world do we keep Rodgers and make this thing work? I don't know. Um... Interestingly enough, talking about Aaron Rodgers and trading him away and whatnot, and I don't know how much of this I buy, but um, the same guy that just said that the Packers are doing some, uh, having some conversations or whatever, Jeremy Fowler, he comes back with another bombshell saying that there's no trade market for Aaron Rodgers right now. Um, bull. <laughs> Look, if, if, if what you're saying is nobody's calling fine, but that's different than not having a trade market. There's a difference between a pizza place not being able to sell pizzas and a pizza place being closed, right? Dude, I haven't seen them sell pizzas all day. Seriously, what time is it? Four o'clock in the afternoon? No, in the morning. I, I've, I've been watching them for the last three, four hours. I haven't seen a single pizza leave this place. Dude, they don't open until eight. I don't need no pizza. So I just, I, I just, it's not that I don't buy it. It's that I know it's stupid, right? I'm one billion percent sure that that's stupid. If the Green Bay Packers went on television and said, we are trading Aaron Rodgers, within 30 seconds, their phone would be ringing off the hook. There's zero chance that the Packers can't move him. We already know that on draft day, teams were calling just in case. So what are you talking about? What is this? I mean, it's annoying because we just got a report from Jeremy Fowler and we're like, oh yeah, some serious stuff going on here. In fact, we just got a report from Jeremy Fowler that uh, Devontae is expected to have a be in talks about a massive contract, and Devontae just came out and, and basically said that's BS. And now he's coming out, and he's like, okay, but um, I got a new hot take. Uh, Rodgers has no market. Like, dude, Fowler, I don't know. You got to just stop. We got to stop this. I, I, I can't listen anymore. By the way, again, uh, Offer stands, a little competition, name that movie. We got two so far. Give you a hint, that was Alan Arkin. Anyways, I've said several times, I don't really know a lot of these reporters. I don't know what their reputations are. Obviously, I know Florio is a massive Packer hater, kind of a goofball, whatever. It's a nice way of putting it. I don't know anything about Fowler, but these last two reports have been nonsense. And again, I don't think a lot of these guys make anything up 100%. 
I think they, I don't know. I mean, there's there's different ways that things can happen. Maybe you get a little bit and you try to guess. You know, there are people on Twitter who just make stuff up and hope that they hit once and then they can come out and be like, see, I have sources. And they have nothing. It's like a 20-year-old dude who's got nothing going for him. He's hanging out trying to get like a YouTube thing going. So he gets on Twitter. And he starts pumping stuff out there, says he has sources, he has nothing, and, and just he just wants that one big hit. Sources tell me Aaron Rodgers in, in talks with the Denver Broncos, deal will be done this week. If it gets done that week, you know how much clout that guy's going to... Even if most people know that he's not, not he's full of it. He's going to have loyal followers. I, I, I say he because I'm guessing 100% of the people doing this are men. So I don't know why, it's just one of those things. I don't make the rules, I just follow them blindly. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break here? Just, I don't know, because we got to do it sometime. Big, giant, massive shout-out to Mr. Brewer for jumping in on Patreon. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you very much for your support. Helps me out tremendously, especially during these trying times of the off-season when there's nothing going on, nothing to report, very few listeners, zero advertisers. It's just, it's there's a very strong desire to be like, dude, I could just take the summer off. Like, who, who cares? You know why I don't? Because of Brewer. That's why I don't do it. Thank you very, very much. If you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Again, please consider giving to the Palmer Home. Every little bit counts. Even if it's just a dollar, it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So I believe this has been touched on in the past, but I guess I just want to remind everybody because I saw an article on The Athletic about it and it kind of just jogged my memory and got me a little bit excited again. And again, one of the frustrating things about this is it's so hard. One of the best things that I could be doing right now is projecting what's going to happen. We could be looking at games. We could be predicting who wins. Who I can't do any of that because I don't know who our quarterback is. But one of the things that was brought up in this, this athletic article was the noise factor. Now, we talked about this a lot during last season. The drop-off in production from our defense largely, I had said, we had said, you had said, was due to the noise, as much as it seems improbable. But remember that first time there was some report about the Packers' sideline getting up and cheering and going nuts, and our defensive ends, our outside linebackers, edge rushers, whatever you want to call them, went nuts and got like back-to-back sacks. I told you of my personal experience last year, I think, when I went to the Detroit game, how when there was noise, the defense was just dominant, and one of the most frustrating things was how slow it was to get that stadium up to speed. It would be third down, they'd be in the huddle, and I'm up screaming halfway to losing my voice, and people would slowly be getting up, and it would slowly ramp up, and it would get louder and louder and louder, and by the time it reached full volume, it was unbelievable what that defense would do, and almost that entire game, that offense rushed to the line of scrimmage, and the reason they did it is because we were so slow to get the noise level up. So rather than get in the huddle and allow the noise, the volume to get really, really high, they would just run straight to the line of scrimmage and there'd be no noise. And almost every time the defense did nothing. So it's hard to comprehend that it does that much for the defense. But I think for most defenses, that's the case. I would almost say a little bit extra for the Green Bay Packers. We've seen that, especially uh, the, the, the group of Zadarius and Rashad and Preston. They seem to do their best work in critical situations probably largely because, you know, partly because that's their DNA. That's just how they're wired. But also you got to assume that's when it's the loudest. And so with full stadiums coming up, you have to assume that the Packers defense is going to take a step forward. However, every other defense is also going to be taking a step forward, making it harder for a lot of offenses, meaning I would fully expect Aaron Rodgers in this offense to possibly take a step back and our defense to take a step up. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. You listen to Brian Gutekunst talk about how for years, the thing that they've been trying to do is get the defense up to to par with where the offense is. The offense has been dragging around this lackluster defense forever. And he said he finally feels like we're just about there. If you factor in Eric Stokes and whatever it is, he's going to be able to contribute. You look at certain guys really starting to hit their stride, like Rashawn Gary, like uh, Darnell Savage. You, you factor in bringing back the noise, especially at Lambeau Field. I know it's not necessarily the loudest stadium in the world, but it's, it's jam-packed and in critical situations at the very least. So you might not have a very loud first and 10 because God forbid you stand up and clap or something on first down. But on third down situations, fourth down situations, goal line situations, it gets pretty rowdy in there. And so, again, I can't really project out what the offense or defense or the team in general is going to be because there's still a lot of, or at least one giant massive variable left out. But I do expect the defense to take it because, and again, it's just that it's sort of a forgotten variable, and I think it's an important one, right? Oh, shoot, the defense fell off. And and specifically, remember, I said, we got to see what Zadarius does. Are we going to get rid of him? Are we going to extend him? What are we going to do? 
I'll be honest. I think Zadarius is going to have a big year. And you got to understand, I, I said he was going to fall off last year, and, I, and he statistically he did. His pressures were way down. His PFF grade was way down. He went to the Pro Bowl, but the bottom line is the Pro Bowl voters are a joke. Two years ago, he should have been, he was the best pass rusher in football. They didn't bring him into the Pro Bowl. This year, he fell off. Maybe didn't deserve to go, although it's, you know, somewhat of a courtesy thing because they kind of screwed him over two years ago. So they let him in, so whatever. But you think, Zadarius, what, what, what do we know? What are, the, what are the details that we know? He had kind of a breakout year, an unsustainable year. He was expected to fall back a little bit. He did fall back. On top of that fallback, what did you have? The fall off of Preston was even more dramatic. Rashawn was not on the field very much, and he was very, very intermittent, and a lot of his breakout came at the end of the year. Kenny Clark had a horrific year, so Zadarius was almost entirely by himself. He was the second most double-teamed guy on the entire team. If you factor in a slight progression of Preston, who is on an entirely incentive-based contract, another step from Rashawn, who again kind of broke out at the end of last year on top of the DBs really being the strength of this team. You factor in the noise level and the fact that Zadarius probably will not be double-teamed as much as he was because he can't be. I'm not talking about necessarily he's going to be the same guy he was in 2019, but I do expect him to have a very big year this year. Assuming he stays healthy, I don't want to, to jinx it or whatever. But, but, but it largely has to do with the fact that I think he's just extremely talented and you can explain a lot of the issues away. I think when you factor in how much he was double-teamed and everything, he already did have a good year. If you can take a little bit of that away, add in full stadiums, and this guy getting jacked up during all these home games, and even even away games a little bit, there's just more energy. I mean, people talk about how weird it was. You know, you go into these empty stadiums, especially in the beginning of the year, you know, I remember Aaron Rodgers being like, this is just almost creepy. You know, they talked about how coaches could call in plays from the sideline, and, and you could just, you could hear it, because it's just, you could hear a pin drop. You know, it'd be kind of tough on grass, but theoretically, maybe on a metal you know, stadium seat or something. But one of the quotes from this athletic article kind of jumped out to me. Uh, It's from an offensive coach. He said, quote, I really believe people are misjudging the impact of no noise. Nobody thinks about it because they don't live it. I have laid in bed at night and could not sleep because of noise. So in general, I think you're going to see a lot of defenses really pop off. I think there was a bit of a handicap given to offenses who had no noise to navigate especially younger guys who, you know, that, that can really throw you off. There's a whole lot of silent communication that, that a lot of the veterans have learned, especially, and also veteran offensive linemen, they have to be able to communicate that way. Wide receivers, off uh, running backs, you got to be able to just, you know, look a guy in the eye, throw him up a little hand signal and be good to go. So it'll be a little bit interesting to see how that goes, but, th- but that is something to keep an eye on. And, and again, I already kind of expected a bit of a, of a jump from the Packers' defense just because, again, a lot of the guys that we said had a good year, it just kind of came at the end. Amos and Savage was at the end of the year. Rashawn was at the end of the year. A lot of the beginning of the year stuff was basically Jair doing it by himself with a little bit of help here, a little bit of help there from one guy or another. If those guys can all hang on and you've got Stokes stepping up, possibly another defensive lineman, and just better production from guys in general, like, again, Kenny Clark who just kind of disappeared all of last year, statistically was a ghost. I'm already anticipating a jump. Add in the noise, and I think you're going to get an exponential jump. So I'm pretty excited about that. Jumping over to the Facebook group, got a question from David. He says, someone breaks out alongside Kenny Clark, pick the guy. For me, I think it's pretty straightforward. It's got to be Kingsley Kiki. And I'm not necessarily 
predicting it. I, I just think if, if you told me somebody was going to, I'd say Kiki, largely because let's just go through the list. Uh, we'll start at the very end of guys who aren't even going to play. Delonte Scott, Carlo Kemp, Jack Heflin, Willington Pavilion. A lot of these guys aren't even going to be on the team when the season starts, right? Then you've got uh, TJ Slayton and Tyler Lancaster, who are bigger run defender type guys. I don't expect them to really break out. They might be solid in terms of their duties of stopping the run, but in terms of a guy that really just takes over the game and is just an elite player alongside him. Now, if we're, if we're just saying a really good player, maybe you could say TJ Slayton, but I'm picturing somebody who's, who's providing in every facet of the game. That leaves Kingsley Kiki and Dean Lowry. And Dean had one good year in his career, so it's possible he does it again, but I think if I had to put my money down on a guy that kind of broke out, not just, you know, stopping the run, but specifically, especially as a pass rusher, I got to give it to Kingsley. Again, I'm not predicting it. I would guess if I had to that that won't happen. But if I was, if I had to pick somebody, it would be Kingsley. Cody says, why does Mark Murphy hate Aaron Rodgers? I kind of, I feel like Mark Murphy is just a very, um, very serious businessman. And he lives in the world of business. And there's a certain way you conduct yourself in business. And Aaron Rodgers just doesn't really conduct himself that way sort of more of a free spirit, you know, and, and as far as Mark Murphy is concerned, they have a contract and Aaron Rodgers' job is to honor that contract and that's the end of it. And he's saying he's not going to do that and he's upset about certain things and he's kind of throwing a temper tantrum and Mark is, I, I just think he doesn't respect what Aaron Rodgers is doing. I don't think he respects a lot of his complaints. I think a lot of it he thinks is silly and he just needs to man up and come play football and he's not doing that. Now, I, I know you're kind of joking. I mean, he's got three laughing faces here. So we probably both, neither of us think that he actually hates Aaron Rodgers, but I think that there's probably some frustration, and I think that's where it comes from. I think Mark Murphy is probably frustrated that he even has to worry about babying a football player um, whose feelings are hurt. Cody says, what player on defense could have the most positive impact this year? Um, I mean, if we're just picking a player that has the most positive impact, I'd go with Jair. If we're saying who can kind of move the needle to the furthest, I would say Stokes. Now, you could say Rashawn, because if Rashawn really, really breaks out and we get that, it's kind of the same thing between Stokes and Rashawn, because we're talking about a number two that is also dominant. It's great to have one really dominant guy, but if you have two at either of those positions, this is it becomes a nearly impossible defense to play just by having those two guys. If any team that has two elite pass rushers is, is really, really hard to play. Any team that has two lockdown corners is really, really hard to play. Because it gives, I mean, it, just think about if, if Eric Stokes did break out. Let's say Eric Stokes isn't necessarily Jair, but he's like Jair Light. He's basically shut down, at least insofar as his ability to shut down number two cor- uh, wide receivers. Think about how much that frees you up. Think about all the freedom that our defensive coordinator has with these safeties that don't need to worry about uh, covering for, you know, corners that can't get the job done to be able to play him deep, to be able to play him shallow, to be able to have him come up. You know, they can they can come up and play the flats. They can blitz. They can, they can do anything because you just trust that these guys are going to shut it down. And likewise, a good pass rush can really help how good your, your corners are because their job just got a lot easier. Instead of having to cover for four, five, six, seven seconds, they got to cover for the four, three, first three seconds. And uh, that, that wide receiver is barely even out of his break yet. And by the time he gets out of his break, even though he got there, the quarterback is cowering. So those would be my two picks as far as moving the needle furthest, right? Jair being dominant means we're exactly where we left off because he was last year. And then Cody follows that up with what player on offense will have the biggest breakout this year? The name that came immediately to mind um, 
was A.J. Dillon. Um, looking over the guys that we have, again, I really like Josiah DeGuara, but I just think his role is such that he's not really going to be a quote-unquote breakout. I think he's going to be a really serious weapon and somebody that defenses really worry about, but he's not going to be a guy that has like 150 yards and three touchdowns in a game. That's not really his role, but he'll really help to make this offense just impossible to stop. Um, other candidates, obviously Amari Rogers, although it's hard to call it a breakout because he's a rookie. Uh, Lazard and MVS, I don't expect anything more than what we've seen because they've been extremely consistent with who they are. There's really not a whole lot of options here. Um, there is Jace, but I don't think he's going to. Tunyon kind of already broke out. Mercedes is 50 years old, no offense, but he's not, I don't expect a breakout from him. So yeah, I would say AJ Dillon. I think he's going to really put himself on the map. Justin has a um, kind of a long, continuous string of questions all in, in one sentence. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see, where does it start? What is the significance of stock sales and ownership in the Packers? There's a whole lot of ands after that, but let's stop with there with that. Um, ownership is insignificant. Stock sales, in my, my understanding, basically, is that it's a fundraiser. I don't think the stocks really have any value other than something that you can hang on your wall. And so the Packers have a unique ability granted to them by the NFL, some kind of an exemption that allows them to quote-unquote sell stock, even though that's, there's no actual stock being sold, I don't believe. And so they're raising money for pieces of paper. It's a fundraiser. And I think that the Packers do it when they're looking for some kind of a giant con, uh, construction project and they need an infusion of cash, they do a uh, stock sale. Now, maybe there are some kind of stocks. In other words, at some point, they sell off too many, and they... I don't know how that all works, but I, my understanding is that it's fake pieces of paper. I don't know. He says, can we anticipate another sale? I don't, because I don't think there's any big projects coming up. Like, if the Packers were to redesign the Packers stadium uh, for a, a giant roof to turn it into a dome or something, then maybe there would be some kind of a sale, but I, I don't for any reason, really anticipate another one coming, but who knows. He says, and what's with the long season ticket waiting list for our team? How do we compare to others? I, I, I mean, it's a supply and demand issue. Also, there's something where you can give your season tickets, I think when you pass away to your kids or whatever, so they don't go back into the market. So they kind of get hoarded and held onto, and there's a billion people waiting in line. So it is supply and demand where you have a massive amount of demand i.e. huge groups of people wanting those tickets and very little supply because there's only so many, you know, seats available for, that are season tickets. So there are only so many season tickets available every year. And uh, the people that have them don't give them up. And, and why would they? But so that would be, and how does it compare? I don't think it compares. I don't, I don't know that there's anything even approaching what the Packers have with that. He says, also, in the whole having an owner topic, I believe that if the Packers were sold to someone, the profits would go to a Green Bay veterans charity, meaning no one would profit. Therefore, the Packers will never be sold. That is interesting. I don't know anything about the veterans charity, but um, it kind of plays into what I was saying before about the, or it wasn't even my, somebody else brought it up, about the likelihood of if there was an owner, they would be sold. And that that is something to be considered. Um, owners can sort of unilaterally sell a team. But in this situation, why would the Packers ever want to move on? I mean, I don't know if it's the board of directors and who would choose, because you're going to have buyers. There are people who would be willing to buy the Packers, no question. But you'd have to have somebody list the team for sale. And you're right, there's there's no current owner to say, I want to sell them and take the billion dollars 
in, in profit for myself and all the other investors and debt and whatever else I have going on. But, you know, th that doesn't exist. So I wonder what it would be, because I, I know there was risk of the Packers being moved at some point. I think it, uh, if the Packers hadn't basically been saved in the 90s, there was a lot of talk about let's get them out of Green Bay. It's a waste of, of, a, of a franchise. I don't know if that would be brought to NFL vote or how that would all work, but I would assume if it's just the board of directors, why would they ever just give up the spot and be like, yeah, let's just get this team out of here. Nobody cares when there's the stadiums are full, even when we're losing. So I don't know how that works. But yeah, another reason why you don't want an owner. Uh, Gerard says, and I've answered this, I've, I've, I've answered it slash never answered it, so I can't be too mad because I've technically never answered it, but it's been asked now about nine or ten times. Uh, having a look at the schedule for the upcoming season, if Love is the starter, how many wins do you re realistically see the Packers having? No idea. It's It really just is an impossible question to answer because I don't know how good Love is, right? That's, that's the only question that matters. I mean, th there is sort of a range given how good the Packers team is. But if Jordan Love is is Kaiser, we win three or four games. If Jordan Love is Mahomes, we win 15, 16 games. So, I mean, it, I hate to evade the question, but it, it's it's impossible. Absolutely impossible. So, so the only real thing you can do is answer it based on what you think Jordan Love is going to be. And I don't really want to dabble in that because I, I just don't know. I hope he's good. He's got some great qualities, but there's no way to know. Greg says, what pellet grill do you use? I'm debating between a Traeger Ironwood 650 Weber Smokefire EX4. I'm a lifelong charcoal advocate, so this feels like cheating, even asking for pellet recommendations. So after many, many months of research, I went exactly with what I said I wasn't going to do. Basically, I uh, it was Father's Day. I was given the green light to go get one, and I didn't want to wait like a month for my grill to show up. I wanted to grill that day. And they had one available for relatively cheap. It was a massive grill. I got the Pit Boss Austin XL. It's a very, very large one, but it was only like 500 bucks. So Pit Boss is the cheaper Walmart brand. But I also, I had talked to a guy who said, we got a Pit Boss and the thing runs like a champ. And I started thinking, I don't want to spend a bunch of money for a bunch of gadgets when all I'm doing is putting heat on meat with a little bit of smoke. And, and it's, just, I mean, it's the same thing slight smoke, you know, loss. So it's slightly different flavor or slightly better or worse temperature control. But it, it's something that people claim that it's so much better, but they couldn't tell the difference. All right, get some good meat, put it on the grill, put it at a, at a certain temperature rate with some good rub and some whatever it is you're putting on it, it's going to taste delicious. So that was my thinking. And I just kind of said, you know what, I just, plus I'd never really done it before. Also, I'm the, I'm the same way with you. I've been charcoal this whole time. I love the, the taste of charcoal. I do think it's still a little bit better. Um, I think with some of the things I'm doing, I'm going to start finishing them on my charcoal grill just to get some char and a little bit of charcoal flavor on. Also looking at a drum smoker in the future, probably going to be a ways down the line because obviously I just bought this, but just to be able to smoke on charcoal. Um, so, so that was, I guess that was just sort of my thought, you know, there's no reason to spend way too much money when they all basically do the same thing. Now, the one that I really wanted was the Camp Chef. I like the little side box thing. It'd be, you know, you get the sear box on it so you can put some sear marks on it. But again, I, you can do that with your charcoal grill if you want to. Get your charcoal grill with some grill grates, fire it up, finish off the meat over there. You're good to go. So I don't know. I mean, it's just, it, it really just comes down to, you know, pick a budget, Pick the best available grill in that budget. I actually got a spreadsheet out. I wanted to see like minimum and maximum temperatures. I want to know how many shelves they have. I want to know how big the hopper size is. And then again, you once you find your... your so, so 
taking too long explaining this on a Packers podcast. Get your budget. Find for every single company, because there's about probably 10 to 15 different pellet grill companies. Find which one is at that price range. Then look at all the details of it and find which one kind of fits what you want. I wanted one that can put a ton of food on, just on the off chance I end up making food for the whole neighborhood. So that's what I got. And again, I got a, I got a cheap one and it's been great. It, the food tastes fantastic. Doesn't have Wi-Fi, but I don't really want Wi-Fi. Plus, I think 150 bucks I can upgrade to my Wi-Fi controller. And I again, I don't I don't want it. So, so it's just it's whatever you want. Especially since again, like you were saying, I, I we've never had pellet grills, so just get a cheap one, see if you like it, and if you want to upgrade, upgrade a couple years down the road. Jonas says, worst case scenario, Rogers forces his way out. Love doesn't work out. We have a pick around six to eight in next year's draft. What quarterback prospect are you looking at? That's the easiest question in the known universe. And I'm hoping I can do my interview tomorrow with uh, Mr. Malcolm Reed, which by the way means that, uh, so I would record it on Monday. It would come out on Tuesday, but I believe he is an Ole Miss fan. My favorite prospect in the 2022 draft is Mr. Matt Corral. Um, on the consensus big board, he is QB 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Now, granted, he's only 71 on this list, 71st on this list, so there's a lot of top-tier quarterbacks, but I think this is all nonsense. I think he's top three. And he may not be quite as good as Spencer or Sam Howell, but he's ap- <coughs> Choking on my own spit. Nurse! He's choking! But I really, really like him. And I brought up the Malcolm Reed thing because I believe he's an Ole Miss fan. I don't know if I said that or not. But uh, yeah, I'm, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm just a big fan. And everybody laughed at me last year when I said he was really, really good because he wasn't even apparently the starting quarterback at the time. But he is now, and he's really good at football. And you're all about to find out. Anyways, I'm going to cut it off there. Feel free to jump in, ask some more questions for uh, tomorrow's podcast. I uh, should be interviewing somebody. But anyways, keep them coming because, again, I got the holiday and a bunch of stuff going on, so I'm not going to have a ton. Plus, just nothing going on right now. So jump in, ask questions. Uh, otherwise, you folks have yourselves a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.